You're listening to Broadcast Behind the Screens, the podcast brought to you by Broadcast and Broadcast Intelligence. This week, we're talking to Dame Heather Rabbits, Chair of Times Up UK. everyone and welcome back to our final podcast of 2022. I'm Alice Redman, Head of Content for Broadcast Intelligence. And I'm Heather Fallon, one of the reporters at Broadcast. So as this is our last podcast of the year, we just wanted to start off by saying a huge thank you to everyone who has tuned in. We're now in our second series and have been really overwhelmed by the positive response. Thanks to everyone that has listened and according to our Spotify wrapped, We have listeners in 71 countries and we are the top 5% of most shared podcasts globally on Spotify. We are both so absolutely thrilled by these numbers and we're so grateful and it's meant the world to us to have such a nice listener base for our first podcast. But in other exciting news, we are also announcing today on this podcast (laughs) our first deep dive mini series so you may have noticed that I have been less involved in the podcast with series two it's because I have been starting to work on our deep dive investigation into true crime tv it is shaping up to be amazing if I do so so myself (laughs) and I really can't wait to start recording and for you guys to hear it so keep your eyes and ears peeled in January. (laughs) My ears are so peeled. (laughs) My ears are so peeled for this podcast. (laughs) Yeah it's shaping up so nicely it's really exciting and we'll be dropping it in the new year. Yep so we're going to look into the world's and television's most importantly true crime obsession what makes it so compelling why so many people watch it where did it come from how has it developed And also investigating some of the risks of making a series and shows on such serious subject matters. We are really looking forward to bringing that to you. So stay tuned in the new year. And moving on to today's podcast, this week I spoke to another Heather, who is far more accomplished than me, Dame Heather Rabbits, who is chair of Times Up UK. And we had a conversation about how far the industry has progressed since the Harvey Weinstein allegations first surfaced in 2017, where we are now and where we hope to be in the next five years. She set up the Independent Standards Authority and has done some really impressive work. So let's just get right into it. My absolute privilege to have you join us on the podcast thank you so much for not making the time it's really really appreciated you've got a pretty accomplished career that spans from (laughs) law government you were named one of the 100 most powerful women in the UK by Women's Hour on BBC (laughs) Radio 4 that's amazing and for broadcast listeners your work in TV spans from being a governor at the BBC a managing director at Channel 4 You currently hold a number of roles across TV and film and 
I suppose mm -hmm. most importantly for our conversation, you are the chair of the organisation and charity Times Up UK. Yes. So could you tell me a little bit about what the charity is looking to do, why it was set up, and we'll mm -hmm. go from there. So Times Up UK was established nearly five years ago now, actually, on that whole wave of the Me Too movement, which actually had been in existence for quite some time, which Tamara, and Tamara Burke had set it up, but was ignited by the Harvey Weinstein revelations. And if Me Too looks backwards, Time's Up, in their essence, looks forwards. And Time's Up um, is a campaigning and advocacy charity, which is focused on how do we respond to issues around bullying, harassment and abuse, focused in film and television. And that, that was our original remit. We are all sadly very well aware, and Harvey Weinstein, of course, was a revelatory moment about the extent to which harassment and, and bullying and abuse is serious across our sectors. And so we came together, particularly joining forces with talent, to consider how did we intervene to really make a difference. And so we have been over five years working with many, many partners to try and shift this dial. And so we worked on the very first harassment and bullying guidelines with the British Film Institute, with BAFTA, with BEC2, which are now pretty much embedded across all productions. And from there, we've, we were sort of the first organisation to really advocate intimacy coordinators. And now that's pretty much standard on set, not only in film and television, mm. but increasingly now in theatre. The Royal Opera House, for example, has recently used intimacy coordinators. Yeah, we so, spoke to um, Ito Brian on one of our previous podcasts, yes. and she was absolutely brilliant. Yes, so Ito has been a, a brilliant advocate for intimacy coordinators, Time's Up supported Ita very much sort of furthering that cause. And I think what we've been really, we're really small. <laughs> so we try and think about where can we intervene that causes a shift in the sort of culture of, of this sector. And that is by guidance, it's been by intimacy coordinators, but it's also about how do you change culture in a broader sense, and that's about leadership. So we were very much part of the campaign to ensure that there are more uh, women directors. We know if you have more women directors, the, the crews are more diverse. And that means that you then have those leadership positions, which are starting to model different behaviour. And in recent times, we've come together again. We work always in alliance with other organisations. There's fantastic work that's being done to think, what is it that we next need to do? Because sadly, there's still a huge amount of fear about reporting and coming forward. And so what tends to happen whilst there's very good practice on productions, often people wait till a production is finished before they say, actually, me too, this, this has happened to me. And because of that void, because productions have been and gone and everybody's thrown to the four quarters of the wind, we've been working with the Creative Industries Roundtable on creating this new body, which is an independent standards authority, which will be a body very much focused on being 
a place where you could go to for trusted advice, which will offer mediation and will importantly mount investigations. Because again, we know that sadly, there are people who turn up on different productions across different broadcasters and nobody holds remit in that area. And we are hoping that this new authority can begin to tackle some of those issues. Yes, as you say, a lot of people don't want to report things until after a production for a plethora of reasons that might be because they don't want to lose their job during the show. They might be labelled as a bit of a troublemaker. I suppose my question is how much meaningful change do you think we've seen since 2017? You've touched on the fact that we've had... Um, the kind of rollout of intimacy coordinators Mm. and there are Mm. some steps but how far do you think we still have to go? I think we still got a distance to go. What I also believe though is important is there has been progress. Every broadcaster, every studio now has policies and, and people who are appointed on each production to be the place to go to if you do have an issue. There's still too much fear And that's why not enough people come forward. And that's what the constant communication that says this is unacceptable behaviour is important. There is now more training. There is particularly with new generations of people coming into the industry to say, actually, these behaviours, you know, this is not appropriate. So I think it's definitely it is definitely changing the fact that now no actor should be asked to do an audition in a hotel room and do it naked you know we've got guidance out there very clear practice but you know this is an industry that sort of the casting couch in quotes was part of its dna and it's gonna take many years for us to fundamentally move away from what has been a historic way of talent on every level, both in front of camera and behind camera being treated. There's an informal nature to the industry, most creative industries. There's a lot of, you meet people for a drink to talk about a project and the the lack of barriers, I think, is one of the problems. It's one of the great things about the industry in some ways, but it's also one of the issues we need to all look at. It is. So I think it's a freelance industry. So all of the, you know, people are necessarily more vulnerable because they're freelancers. You know, the work is sporadic. You know, most talent, and we hear about the big rock stars of talent, but most talent are not earning very much money. And therefore the fear of, A, losing your job, being labelled as difficult, therefore not getting the next gig because there's still a huge amount of word of mouth. Uh, You know, I just worked with so-and-so, they were great. You should have them in your next series. And that's why... It takes the collective action of many, many participants to shift culture. That informality on one level is fantastic, but it's about, yeah, there is informality, but there's also, as I said, you can't take an actor now to a hotel room and expect them to do an audition, you know, naked. In a way that was within, you know, pretty recent times, within the last five years, what, you know, happened a lot. So... I think it's, you know, we're working both in film and television. We're increasingly looking at theatre, music, all of these creative sectors. You know, they share certain characteristics. 
often power concentrated in the hands of very few people with many, many people working on a freelance basis and therefore not having the same employment rights as you would if you worked in an organisation, which is why we just have to stay on this all the time. Yeah, and the ISA, the Independent Standards Authority, is a really big step in that. And we've reported previously that now the broadcasters have thrown their weight behind it. Uh, Most recently, Jen Smith has been appointed as the kind of interim chief executive. How far along are you guys in the process of creating this authority and what's it designed to do? Yes, so the Independent Standards Authority has been sort of generated as an idea because there was increasing recognition that there is ongoing fear and underreporting. And often where there is an issue in the course of the production, many, many people do not have enough courage to raise it until after production has ceased. So the idea of this body is that it would be supported by all of the industry, not only by broadcasters and producers, but BAFTA and the BFI, all the sort of stakeholders now, many, many of whom have signed up towards creating this body. And we've appointed an interim chief exec, Jen Smith, who was seconded by the British Film Institute to start to set up the organisation. And it will have sort of three very clear roles. One, absolutely to be a place, a source of confidential advice. What do I do? Who who should I go to in the first instance? Mediation. So, again, what we found is that a number of complainants have said, I just wanted to go and have the opportunity to raise with this other person the fact that this this is not acceptable behaviour. I just put there was nowhere for me to go to. So mediation and finally investigation, particularly important where we know we have uh, serial offenders and how are they held to account. And this independent standards authority, whilst it's beginning in phase one with film and television, who are more advanced in some ways in, in terms of the work that we've all been doing collectively over these last five years. It will also cover theatre, it will cover music, it will be a creative industries independent standards authority. And what we are now doing is setting out in detail the glide path to it being created, which you know our expectation is that Over this next year, we will be able to get it up and running, supported, as I say, by all of the creative industries. And there's been a roundtable, which has been chaired by Caroline Norbury, to look at this issue of bullying, harassment and abuse. The Independent Standards Authority is one of the outcomes of that work. But there's also other discussions going on about the needs for training and broader monitoring and evaluation so that we all continue to learn and improve practice. Yeah and this authority and the additional conversations that you're having are born from the fact that a lot of people find themselves in a position where they don't know what to do when something happens to them because there isn't these official processes on set. If someone was concerned at this moment in time about Mm. harassment what would your advice to them be i think it depends where the harassment is happening so if if there are a number of advice lines film and television charity for example have advice lines if you go on times up our website we point to a whole range of resources if you're in a production there should be very clearly stated the person that you can go to 
in the court there should be a named person in any production that you can you can raise your concerns with as i've said the problem with that is that there is still this anxiety if i raise it and we're in the course of production am i going to be labeled difficult will i lose my job no that definitely should not happen yeah if you if you have suffered harassment and abuse and you're no longer in this production this is where we have the gap and until really we create the standards authority there's not a clear clear line of sight you could raise it with the broadcaster who had commissioned the series but again the problem is they are at one step removed because they weren't they weren't producing it unless it was an in unless it was in-house so there is real gap so you can get some support in terms of personal advice about how you deal with it but in terms of trying to get resolution it's very difficult without having as I've said this new body which can then provide a a way in which it can be looked at and investigated properly. Yeah building on that another major issue related to harassment and bullying is the issue of non-disclosure agreements And they've been re-raised recently outside of film and TV with some allegations regarding the politician Dominic Raab. Why are NDAs problematic? So NDAs, compromise agreements, you know, are pretty standard legal arrangements across, as you say, all sectors. And they can be properly used. You know, you come to a point in your employment, actually you're not getting on with it, it's not linked to any abusive behavior it's or there's been a restructure and particularly at senior levels and you you know you come to a commercial settlement and both sides want confidentiality and we're not arguing that there isn't a legitimate place for NDAs but as the film she said highlights and Zelda Perkins campaign which Time's Up is pleased to support is that NDAs have been used to suppress allegations of harassment abuse and bullying in the industry or indeed in other sectors they've been used in the financial services sector you know they they are not just the characteristic of film and television and the can't buy my silence campaign is very much focused on saying and working on legislation that says you cannot use an nda for the purpose of suppressing complaints which are of this nature and we know from, again, the bravery of somebody like Zelda, you know, who revealed literally that she could not tell friends, her family. I mean, in one instance, I've heard of an NDA where the woman was told she couldn't even go to her priest to talk about what had happened to her. And that that is not only hugely damaging because it enables that person to keep on behaving badly. They feel they're immune. They're not accountable for that behaviour. For the person who has suffered that abuse, they then suffer that abuse in silence, denied counsel with anybody. And so that in of itself is hugely mentally destructive and emotionally destructive to survivors. And so this campaign is very much focused on you cannot use NDAs to bury bad behaviour. And as we know, there's been, there has been legislation passed in Canada. There's um, legislation under discussion here. Uh, but increasingly, and, and the point that I was making 
when we supported the screening of the She Said film the other week is, and again, it goes back to the Me Too movement. It's about everybody speaking up. And I might not be subject to an NDA. My colleague might not be subject to an NDA. But actually, if we think somebody we're working with is, then it is being subject or being put under that pressure. It is also our collective responsibility to speak up. And the more that we speak up, the harder it is to actually put in place NDAs. I think, again, it's about ensuring that within uh, companies, not just in film and television, that there is, just as we each company now has to have guidance on harassment, that they also commit to not using NDAs in this instance. So we don't just have to wait for a piece of legislation. This is about saying, you know, this behaviour is unacceptable and none of the tools that have been previously used to protect people who are being committing this bad behaviour is now available. You've outlined why the use of an NDA can be so destructive for a victim. Why would someone who has been harassed or bullied or had unacceptable behaviour enacted upon them, why would they sign an NDA? Well, in many instances, and this is again something that came out as part of Can't Buy My Silence campaign, in many instances, you don't even know what you're signing. In some instances, you're not even shown the full document. You're often being given some sort of level of financial compensation, you know, so it's slightly extended notice period for want of a better word. And also, of course, you want you want to get away from all of this. You want it all to stop. So for many, many people who've signed them, they've just been unaware. And that's part of the educative process that Can't Buy My Silence and Time's Up are involved with to say, you're entitled to have a friend with you. You're entitled to have legal advice. You may want to sign an NDA, but the terms of it should be, you know, what is it that you're signing up to and what it is that you're not signing up to. You know, this this is happening when people are at their most vulnerable. Absolutely. And that's used and played against them. And you're also concerned about your ability to work again. So you're, you're, there is a sort of belief which is, well, okay, I might not be able to talk about this, but they aren't either. So, uh, you know, I will be able to get other work. And often, sadly, that doesn't that doesn't happen. Um, and it's about the misuse of power. You know, you are not in a powerful place in, at this moment and you are being persuaded that it's in your interest to sign this. And that's, again, why being public, advocating, you know, as I've said, for many, many people, they didn't even know this was an NDA that was signing. So just raising it, talking about it, I think starts to make a difference where now somebody might say, do you know what? I want somebody with me. I want to I want to see the whole document yeah. before they get find themselves signing into a vow of silence. You've mentioned that legislation has passed in the US and in Canada. In the UK, our current culture secretary, Michelle Donlan, had previously been vocal about the misuse of NDAs on university campuses during her time when she was mm. universities minister. Theresa May had been quite vocal about it when she was prime minister. And most recently, Maria Miller had been trying to pass mm. through some legislation of course, all women trying to pass through this legislation. Could you tell me a little bit about where we are at the moment and how likely 
you think it is that we might see a change of law in the near future? Are you optimistic? I'm always optimistic. I always believe that the collective voices of so many people it does exert influence and does shape change. It's difficult to say, listen, we can see this on the near horizon. I mean, my goodness, you know, we are going through such political turmoil and change. What I think is very important, though, is whilst legislation is absolutely an objective, as I said, companies can willingly take the decision, we will not use NDAs in this instance. And if companies and whether whether you're a you know with across film and television or indeed across any any sector if you start to uh, make sure that you're tackling harassment and poor behavior in terms of protecting your employees then you should not be using ndas for this purpose so i i think that we have to be multi-pronged in our in our campaigns to change you know what's happening tomorrow as well as focusing on a campaign that's applying political pressure to try and shift the legislation in due course. Yeah, I think it's really interesting how behind the UK is in many aspects when it comes to passing passing legislation. It is and it is. I mean, you know, we, we also, there are some parts of UK legislation that are more advanced than some parts of say, the US. But I think it's about ensuring that the you know, how you take down structures mm. of discrimination, how you take down structures of bullying and harassment, you, know, you have to take them down, as Angela Davis talked about in terms of institutional racism. You have to take it down brick by brick. And so what I always do when I'm working with many, many organisations and many other people is, OK, let's just what is this one thing we can do today? Okay, what is what is it we can do tomorrow? Let's get guidance and practice so that on any on every production set there is an absolute commitment that there should be no harassment and bullying. Let's at least make the statement. Let's then try and find ways of protecting people, and that includes a range of interventions like the Independent Standards Authority, but it will also involve not using NDAs for this purpose. If you think about where we were, you know, five years ago. Who who would have thought that somebody as powerful as Harvey Weinstein would ultimately be brought down by the voices of many brave, courageous women? Nobody, nobody thought that was, was capable of happening, but it did. And I think it's really important to remember that. You know, if you speak up and speak out, as I said, whether you're somebody who's experienced it directly or you can see it happening to somebody who's sitting next to you in your office, you have the responsibility to say, boy, that's not on. And I think that's what gives me, that's what gives me hope. I was involved a lifetime ago in working on setting up kick racism out of football at a time when virtually in every stand at every game, there were racial abuse mm. everywhere. Now, it is still it still happens, but I go to football matches. My family go to football matches. You very rarely hear it. Very rarely yeah. hear, hear it. And it's met and with a lot was... more hostility now by others. It's not as exactly, exactly. entrenched. And if you think that's actually you know, 
think it's 30 years. I don't want to even say because it was my birthday <laughs> yesterday. Um, but creating cultural shifts is about people raising their voices. It was, you know, yes, there's legislation, but actually it is about increasingly those fans no longer doing it. And if anybody does do it, those fans saying that is unacceptable. And that's really, you know, when I think about movements, it takes the civil rights movement. We are still fighting for, you know, racial equity to this day. And we need to continue that fight and we need to continue the fight on set, on ensuring that all of us can work in a in a in, in a safe place with dignity and respect. Absolutely, that was brilliant. <laughs> it's been five years since those Weinstein allegations first surfaced, and a lot, as you've really articulately outlined, has happened in the last five years. So I suppose my final question is. You know, we've got the Independent Standards Authority on its way. What would you like to see happen in the next five years? <laughs> well, um, an Independent Standards Authority up and running. I think uh, that will be hugely important in terms of the whole industry, actually, saying that we've come together in, in one voice. And it's about that underpinning accountability and integrity. I know that, you know, when I've spoken to many talented people who've got, you know, children, I've got grandchildren, I want to feel that they can go into the creative sectors and this is not going to be behaviour that they're going to encounter. And I hope they won't encounter this behaviour in any sector. We're focused in the creative industries, but, you know, that they, the, the voice of storytelling in terms of having cultural impact is huge. There will be many people who go and watch the film, she said, who may not have even, you know, have heard of Zelda Perkins and what she did. But actually, it will resonate way beyond, as I said, the, the film and television sector, where everybody knows that at times things happen that shouldn't happen. So I, I hope in five years' time, that sense of voice is just even louder um, than it is today. Fantastic. Oh, it was such a privilege to have you. Thank you so much. Uh -oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Broadcast Behind the Screens. We'll be back in 2023 with our brand new true crime miniseries. So be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll be the first to hear. Thanks for listening. See you soon. <laughs>